Hi, everyone. My name is Drew. Uh, I am one of the pastors here at Providencia, and it's a privilege to be with you this evening, even if only virtually. Um, as Emily said uh, a minute ago, it feels a little bit lonely up here, and we very much look forward to the time when we can be in person again. Um, we are continuing a series of sermons that has been uh, nearly a year long now that we have called Reimagine, um, which at various points this year has felt uh, extremely appropriate, not least in the last few months when we've essentially had to reimagine church services um, in, in new and different formats. Um, but this month we've been talking about reimagining family, uh, and tonight we're going to conclude that month of sermons on the topic of family. Our text is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. It's there in your order of worship, or you can uh, pull out a Bible or, or pull it up on, uh, on any of your devices there. Galatians chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This ends the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, before we start, I want to tee up Keith uh, for our topic that we're going to talk about next week, um, because I am tired. I saw a tweet from Nadia Boltz-Weber a few days ago where she said that pastors are exhausted right now because they're working twice as hard to do something that they're half as good at. I think that is true. At least I feel the truth of that statement. We really did not want to go back to this live stream only format. That one week where we had a few people in the building with us uh, really was amazing. And in some ways, just a taste, I think, of what will be to come hopefully soon. I haven't worked half as hard as Keith and Danny have uh, on these live stream services, and I am tired. I imagine that they are even more tired than I am. On top of all of that, Two weeks ago, we found out that my grandma had died in Oklahoma. And so last week, my family and I drove from West Palm Beach to Oklahoma City, making as few stops and seeing as few people as possible in order to be with my family for the funeral service. And there was some extended family who got together for the funeral. And I was reminded in a fresh way that we don't get to choose our family. Now, in my family, there are Trumpers and never-Trumpers and Bernie bros. There are vegetarians, and there are those who think tater tots are a vegetable. There are blue-collar people and white-collar people. There are those who have lived all over the world and those who have never left small-town Oklahoma. There are dyed-in-the-wool Southern Baptists, and there are agnostics. There are Disney fanatics, and I mean fanatics. 
and their foreign film nerds. There are several members of my family who carry their guns everywhere they go. And then there's me yelling at Owen to put a Nerf gun down because we don't play with guns. We don't get to choose our family. Here in Galatians 4, we have one of Paul's most astounding explanations of how we get welcomed into God's family. This passage starts with one of the family themes that we've picked up several times in the last few weeks. Paul's using the metaphor of a child who is an heir, an heir of an estate. This is about inheritance. In the same way that the question of the rich ruler and the teacher of the law was about inheriting eternal life. In the same way that the prodigal son demanded his inheritance early and then took it off and wasted it. It's the same imagery. But here Paul describes the time before we are heirs as a time in which we are enslaved. He contrasts the status of heir with the status of a slave. And he starts with an heir who is underage, who is immature, who is a minor legally, and no different than a slave because of that. But he quickly relates this to the fact that we, Paul says we, were all once enslaved by the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Now we could put all kinds of names to these forces. Let's call them sin. Let's call them guilt and shame. Let's call them pride and greed. Let's call them power and privilege. Let's call them addiction and depression. Let's call them the past. Anything you can think of that can take hold of your thoughts and control your actions and not let you go. Anything that can drive you to self-destruction. Anything that can push the good out of your life and invite in the bad. These are the forces that chain us and lock us down. See, a slave in the Roman world had little to no hope for freedom. No real hope of upward mobility in society. No status or honor or dignity. Except, except for the hope of adoption. If a slave's master was childless and old in age, that master would want to have a son to whom he could grant the inheritance of his estate. Now, a master could take a slave into his own home in this situation of childlessness. A master could take a slave into his own home and through a legal process adopt that slave as a son. But this didn't only happen in the case of a master who was childless. It also happened if a master had a son or even sons who had become estranged. In the Roman world, estrangement between parents and children was as common as it is today. I know many in our community here at Providencia have experienced such estrangement. A son who left his parents and went his own way, a son who disowns the family name or disowns the family business, that son could be permanently disowned by his father and replaced by another son as an heir or replaced by an adopted slave as a son. Think about the parable of the prodigal son that Keith talked about just last week. The prodigal son effectively disowns his father and his family and strikes out on his own. 
Now, if this occurred in the Roman world, the father would be well within his rights to legally disown his son and transfer his whole estate to another, say the older son in the parable. The amazing thing about Roman sonship is this. Only biological sons could be estranged and replaced. Only biological sons could be estranged and replaced. A slave, on the other hand, who had gone through this legal process of adoption and therefore had become a son could never be legally estranged. It was a binding covenant and could not be broken. And this is precisely what God has done for us through Jesus. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This is the legal word for a change in status from slave to son. It's a covenant, it's binding, and it's unbreakable. But there's a difficulty in translating this passage from Greek into English because of this technical Roman term, adoption to sonship. See, in the original Greek, there is a play on words throughout this passage. Between the status that we are granted in adoption, which is sonship, and the one who made this adoption possible, who is the son. It causes translation problems in our 21st century context because it's easy to hear sonship as applying only to males. So you might variously have an English translation that uses only the term son throughout this whole passage. Or you might have a translation that tries to use the term child whenever it's possible, as the NIV does here in verse 7 in the reading that I did just a minute ago. But it also uses the term son when the term child or children fails to capture this beautiful play on words. Look again at verses 5 and 6, if you have it there in front of you. God sent Jesus to redeem us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. And then Paul says, because you are God's sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. There's the play on words. But it's clear that this adoption is hope for women and men in the family of God. Remember, Paul has already established that men and women, men and women are equal in the family of God in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Neither is there male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's a beautifully crafted wordplay on this term son in this passage. And it grows out of this technical term, this technical Roman term for adoption to sonship. So it's important that we can see that and recognize it. See it for its beauty in the way that Paul has constructed this argument. But it's also important that we recognize that Paul is not just referring to biological sons, but that he is saying that daughters and sons can enjoy this status of adoption in God's family. Daughters and sons can leave behind a previous way of life that leaves us unfulfilled, desperate, lost, and ultimately leads to death. So in the family of God, there are daughters and sons. There are those who are old and those who are young. There are those who are rich 
and those who are poor. In our little church family here at Providencia, there are conservatives and progressives. There are vegans and there's Jordan. There are people with blue-collar jobs, people with white-collar jobs, people with no jobs, especially during this crisis of COVID-19. People who are local to West Palm Beach and people who have traveled from all over to be here. People from all kinds of church backgrounds, people who were once atheist or agnostic. In this way, church families are like our biological families. We don't get to choose our family. Sure, you might have chosen to be a part of the Providencia family, and we're very glad that you have chosen that. But you didn't get to choose who else would be a part of this family. There are inevitably people in our community that you'll disagree with, that I disagree with. And yet here we find ourselves sisters and brothers of Jesus. We didn't choose this family. God did. God chose to bestow on us that glorious status of adopted child. And this idea of family goes well beyond the bounds of our Providencia community. We didn't choose Memorial Presbyterian Church or Tabernacle Church. God did. Some of us would rather not have chosen Family Church or Truth Point or Christ Fellowship or First Baptist Church Lantana, but God did. Some of us have left behind Southern Hills Baptist Church in Oklahoma City or Victory Church in Tulsa, but God hasn't left them behind. Some of us have changed denominations, but God didn't choose a denomination. God chose humans. This is our family. Memorial and Tabernacle and Family Church and Southern Hills and Victory Church. This is our family, Eco-Presbyterians and PCA. Southern Baptists and Pentecostals and African Methodist Episcopals and Catholics. This is our family. White Evangelicals and Bible Belt Fundamentalists and Mainline Progressives and Christians who are in counseling and Christians who think counseling is a waste of time. But really, you should be in counseling, all of you. This is our family. We didn't choose it. God did. What we get to choose is to try to love. Let's pray.